Thank you so much for joining us today. We're always encouraged to know God is working through new beginnings to touch lives. So if you have a story to share of how God's working in your life, please let us know. Send us an email at mystory@newbeginningsnj.org. Now prepare your heart to hear a word from God today. I am so thankful that the Holy Spirit kind of impressed upon me a few months ago, uh, before the end of last year, that we would be starting this year, 2018, with a series that we're entitled Real Talk, and, and you're going to hear some very real talk during this time, these next couple of weeks, starting last weekend. I beg you, I beg you, please, if you were not here last weekend, please go online, please listen to the message in its entirety. It's impossible for me to repeat everything from last week. I am going to do a very brief review, and then we're going to step into part two of this series, Real Talk. What is it all about? Listen. We live in a society where many of us sometimes, and unfortunately this has crept into the church, I'm not talking about just New Beginnings, I'm talking about the church world in general, is where there is a strong pull to elevate our opinions over the truth. And that is a dangerous thing to do, okay? It's dangerous at least in some areas, but it could be eternally damning in other areas. And what are you talking about, Pastor Joe? Here's what I'm saying to you. We started off last week and started this series off with the topic of salvation. You can afford to have your opinions about some things. You can afford to have, you know, some of us are Bible students and we study the Bible. And honestly, we all should be. And sometimes people will settle on their own pet little doctrines and they believe a specific way about a certain thing. And sometimes it may be influenced by how you were raised or the church you were raised in or not having any church at all. And so you may have your own take on certain concepts in the Bible, certain doctrines, certain teachings in the Bible. For instance, some people have different opinions about how baptism should be administrated. And, and some people have other opinions about uh, whether you know, the, the Holy Spirit is very alive and real today and active as he was in the early church. Some people have majorly different, major differences on, on the end times prophecies in the Bible of when Jesus is going to return. Is he going to return? What it'll be like? All these things. You could afford to have your opinions there and they will not affect you for all of eternity. However, when it comes to salvation, you can't get this one wrong. Turn to somebody and say, you can't get this one wrong. Because if you get this one wrong, you end up in eternity separated from God. So we've determined that we're going to start out this year, 2018, that my responsibility, and I am determined to fulfill this, to get as many people as possible on the same page, not with Pastor Joe's opinion, but with what the Word of God says. And the Word of God is, is just black and white. It's words. It's words. It's there. Okay? And so last week we talked about the basics of salvation. And when I say basics, I hope you don't take it automatically and put them into the terms of simple and just unimportant. No, no, no. It is a framework of how we come into relationship with God through the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay? So uh, I presented this last week, and again, I'm going to do a very quick review because uh, there's a lot I want to get into in part two. <clears throat> if you look at the Garden of Eden in the scriptures, it is very clear that that is the way that God meant for this planet to be from the earliest in, in the original creation, okay? You, you follow me? When you read through the scriptures in Genesis chapter 1, Genesis chapter 2, you realize that the planet looked different, felt different, just was di operated differently. It's a whole different creation than what you and I are experiencing today. 
There was no death. There was no sickness. There were no diseases. There was no poverty. There was no depression. There was none of the things that are part of the human experience today. And if you're not careful, you will get sucked into what the popular notions are. Like, like well, you know, people will say, we well, you know death is part of life. No, maybe in your world, but in the, in the kingdom of God, death was never supposed to be part of life. We were created to live forever. Our spirits will, but our bodies were created at that time to live forever. Adam and Eve were not supposed to die. Nobody was supposed to die, even though they said, well, they live to be a thousand years old. That was like a moment in God's eyes. We were not supposed to be subject to disease. We're not supposed to be subject to poverty and depression. And I'm not teaching you this pie in the sky thing. That is a reality. You don't find them in the garden until sin shows up on the scene. When sin is permitted to come in, with sin came spiritual death, with spiritual death came physical death. Okay? You're catching this. So, the remedy for, for if sin brought spiritual death on the scene, then the remedy is for Jesus to come, deal with sin, so that he could bring back spiritual life. And so, so when you and I, when we, when we talk about being born again, which is the term that Jesus coined in John chapter 3, we're going to talk about it in a moment, what does it mean? Does it mean, well, you know, I'm just turning over a new leaf of life? No, no, no. You could go to AA and turn over a new leaf of life. You can go to an anger management class and turn a new, new leaf of life, but that's not going to put you in heaven. That's not, going to, it's not going to change your heart. It's not going to change your spiritual nature. It is not going to put you back in relationship with God. It may put you back in relationship with your spouse. It might make you an easier person to live with. However, it does not change your nature. You're still under spiritual death. When we receive Christ, and when I say receive, when we, and we're going to find that in the scriptures very shortly, when we declare with our mouths that which we have settled in our heart is true about what Jesus is all about, when we come to the place where we say, I believe what the Bible says about Jesus. I believe he's the son of God. I believe that he came to this earth to die on the cross to pay for my sins. I believe that God the Father raised him from the dead. I believe he's alive right now. So Jesus, I declare right now my faith in you. I ask you, be my Lord, be my Savior, come into my life, fill me with your spirit. Bam. We're instantly brought from spiritual death to spiritual life, and that is a biblical fact. Amen. This is why we're saying you can't get this one wrong. And I asked the question multiple times last week, have you, and I can't answer this, only you can, have you experienced spiritual resurrection? Have you gone from spiritual death to spiritual life? Only you would know. Jesus, Jesus had to clear some things up for a religious man. His name was Nicodemus. He was one of the religious leaders at that time. John chapter 3, verse 1. There was a man named Nicodemus. Again, this is all review, so please pay attention. A religious leader who was a Pharisee. In other words, he, he, he was part of that denomination, if you would, of Judaism. After dark one evening, he came to speak with Jesus. Rabbi, he said, we all know that God has sent you to teach us. Your miraculous signs are evidence that God is with you. Jesus replied, I love Jesus. I love Jesus' way of doing things. I love his style of communicating. I just love the way he did. Now, Jesus is a no-nonsense guy. I like no-nonsense people. I do not do well with high drama people. I do not do well with people that are constantly blowing smoke at you. You know what I'm talking about? Uh, I, so Jesus goes, come on, Nicodemus, let's just, let's just, why don't you get to the place? Why don't you just ask me what you want to ask me? And so Jesus says to Nicodemus, I'll tell you the truth. Unless you're born again, you can't see the kingdom of God. That, that hit Nicodemus like a ton of bricks, just like it hit you the first time you saw it. 
The first time you heard it, the first time somebody said, do you like, I remember the first time somebody said that to me, I, I laughed in their face like, what are you talking about? How can I be born again? Same thing Nicodemus says. Nicodemus says to Jesus, how can an old man be born again? How can I climb back on my mother's womb and be born again? And Jesus goes, no, nah, you got it wrong. He, he said this, you're born once, now paraphrasing here, he said you're born once, you have to be born of water and the spirit. You're born once naturally, but you have to be born a second time spiritually. Because we're born into this world under sin. So well, I didn't do anything. No, you didn't. Adam and Eve did. But because we're their descendants, because we carry their DNA, sin is natural to us. Are you, are you listening? Did you notice you didn't have to teach your kids how to say no? Did you notice you never had to teach your kids how to lie? They got cookie crumbs all over their face. Did you eat a cookie? No, I'm me, Mom. What happened? It came natural, because we're born that way. What doesn't come natural is for us to live holy. What doesn't come natural is for us to cling towards God. That comes supernatural, and it comes as a result of God drawing us and us responding to God based on what we believe in our hearts. Are you listening? So, Jesus says to Nicodemus, unless you're born again, you can't see the kingdom of God. And I didn't really make that connection until last night's service. Last night's service, all of a sudden I remember, wait a second, it's it just like a split second revelation. I got born again. I received Christ in, uh, actually officially in church on April the 25th, 1984, on a Wednesday night, about 9.30. I remember because it was the turning point in my life. That was the night, that was the moment that I went from spiritual death to spiritual life. But, but truthfully, I really probably got born again a couple of days or weeks before that on my own. I told this story last night, I told in the first service, I'll tell it to you very quickly because we've got a lot to do here. I just want to bring this reality out to you to show you this illustration. I don't remember if my wife and I had a fight, if we had a knockdown drag out because that was very prominent back then and very prevalent all the time. It was just a habit. So, but for some reason, I was home alone. She had uh, our two boys with her. At the time, we only had two. She had them, and she was, she was up north. And, and Michael would have been an infant, that, I mean, very newborn at that point in time. But for some, some reason, I'm home by myself, and I believe it was on a Saturday night. I'm almost positive it was. And I was just distraught. It was distraught in my life. I, and listen to me. Don't always assume. People assume when you tell this kind of story that you were just down and out. You're out in the gutter. You have nothing. You don't have three cents in your name. No, no. We were doing very well. We were extremely, uh, for 27 years old, I owned two homes. I had a very, very business that was very, very alive and very, doing very prosperous. Uh, we had nice cars. We had nice things. Everything's going good. But you know, that was the worst thing about it. Because no matter what, no matter how well I did, no matter how I prospered, everything I put my hands to prospered. No matter how, it never satisfied that void on the inside. I still felt miserable. I still didn't want to live. I didn't want to spend another day on this planet. And I remember that night saying to God just before I drifted off to sleep just in a miserable just fit of just d desperation you either if you're real either you change me or you kill me because if you don't kill me I'll do it myself I don't want to live here anymore I woke up the next morning I swear to you as I'm standing here I got up I was I had fallen asleep on the couch or I might have even fallen asleep on the floor in the living room I got up and we had this big bay window in the front of our living room over just in this neighborhood right back here, just a few blocks back here. And I looked outside and I thought to myself, man, I don't remember the grass looking this green. I don't remember the trees looking so alive. 
I don't remember the sky looking as blue. And you know, and that was like an isolated incident, and I never made the connection until last night. That's what Jesus is talking about. Until you're, if you're not born again, you can't see the kingdom of God. Why? Because you're abiding in spiritual death. And when you're in spiritual death, you can only see spiritual death. You can only see things through the eyes of death. But when the spirit of God comes in you, when you say, Jesus, come into my heart, be my Lord, be my Savior, everything changes. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, which I'll probably mention later, says, all things, old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. It was like it was a whole new world. That's what he's talking about. And this is the thing that you can't understand until you experience it. It's almost like somebody trying to tell you what it's like to fall in love that's never fallen in love. How do you explain that? How do you put it into human terms? Same thing, there's multiple individuals on the national, international level, ministers, that have had God's grace them with an experience to be taken from the earth and brought to heaven to experience some, some for moments, others for, for, for multiple hours, and they all come back and they all say the same thing. There's colors there that don't even exist on this planet. How is that possible? We can't comprehend that. There are sounds, there are fragrances that don't even exist here. Why? Because it's a different kingdom. And the only way you're gonna experience it is for you to come to that place in your heart where you believe that Jesus is who he said he is. And that you, as an act of your will, make a declaration and say, Jesus, I believe in you. I believe that you are the Son of God. I believe that you died on the cross to pay for my sins. You took my place there. I should have gone to the cross. And I believe that God raised you from the dead and that you're alive right now. And if you're alive right now, you can hear me. So Jesus, come into my heart. Be my Lord, be my God. Be my Savior. Thank you for forgiving my sins. Thank you for making me a child of God. It's that simple. It's that simple, yet it's that profound. Because that simple step of faith, because that's all God's after is our faith. Do you understand and realize this? What did Adam and Eve take from God? Their faith. They took their trust and their faith in God, and they took it and placed it in the devil. They believed the lies that he spoke instead of sticking with God. And so what has God been after from mankind ever since? that we would take that back from the devil and place our faith and our trust back in him. That's all he's ever wanted is for us to trust him. All he ever wants you to do is trust him. Not try to figure him out, not try to do it on your own, but to trust him. Amen? We can't get this one wrong. I'm gonna ask you this question that I asked multiple times last weekend. Have you, up to this point in your life, experienced resurrection from the dead. You say, well, I didn't die. No, no, no. Have you been raised from spiritual death to spiritual life? Have you made that declaration of faith in the Lord Jesus Christ that's gonna take you instantaneously from death to life? To the place, listen, don't make the mistake of believing some lies that people believe in our society and just humanistic philosophy. Well, you know, if I don't go to heaven, I'm just going to die and I'll cease to exist. Oh, no, 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 no. Nobody ceases to exist. Every human being that has ever been conceived lives forever someplace. You determine where it's going to be. It's not even God that determines it. You determine. You make the choice. So I'm going to ask you that question again. 
Have you gone from spiritual death to spiritual life yet? Have you experienced going from being lost, being a sinner by nature, to being a child of God? You notice if you read the New Testament, the Bible never refers to God's people as sinners. He always refers to God's people as saints. Have you made that transition? Have you had that experience? If you haven't, I pray in the name of Jesus that before we're done with this service today, but before you leave these doors in the back of this room, that you will make a declaration of your faith and say, I believe in Jesus. I believe. I believe this. I believe this. I want it to be my Savior. I want it to be my Lord. You know what? Let's not waste any more time. Let's do it right now. Let's do it right now. I want us all to pray together. And I know there are many of you in this room. You believe, but you've never made a declaration of faith. You've known about this. You've known about Jesus. You know about God. You know somewhat. And you believe in your heart. You even believe that he died on the cross for our sins. You believe that God raised him from the dead, but you've never taken the opportunity to publicly declare with your own mouth what you believe. I want to read you a scripture real quick and then we're going to pray. Romans chapter 10, 9 and 10, I want to read to you from a very specific translation. It's called the Phillips translation of the New Testament. I want you to listen very closely. If you openly admit by your own mouth that Jesus Christ is the Lord, and if you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is believing in the heart that makes a man righteous before God. In other words, puts, puts us in a right position before God where he's not looking at us as sinners, he's looking at us as perfect and spotless. And then look what it says next. And in stating his, in stating his belief by his own mouth, does what? Confirms his salvation. So, so you see how the two things work together here? Look at this. In our heart, we come to the conclusion that Jesus is who he says he is. You see that? And then what happens? With our mouth, what do we do? We confirm. What is that? We seal our, our salvation. It needs to be done. You need to do it. I can't do it for you. You couldn't do it for me 33 years ago. You have to do it on your own. Are you ready? And we're all going to pray this together. And I know amongst us here, there's some that this, you're going to be praying this for the first time. There are some of us, we're going to be praying it for the millionth time, okay? But we're going to all do it together. Why? Because we're not here to make spectacles out of people. We're here to lead people to Christ so that they would have a life-changing impact on their hearts, amen, and experience Jesus in his reality. Yes? You ready? Let's say this together. Father, Father I, believe I believe that Jesus is the Son of God. I believe that when he died on the cross, he died to pay for my sins. I believe that you, Father, accepted Jesus' death as if it were my own, as if I died on the cross, because I deserve to go to the cross, not him. I believe, Father, that you raised Jesus from the dead and that he's alive right now. And if he's alive... Then he hears me. So Jesus, I ask you, please, come into my life. Come into my heart. Fill me with your spirit. Thank you for forgiving my sins. I declare right now, based on your word, 
that my past is gone and everything becomes new. I have gone from death to life. I went from spiritual death to spiritual life. I now, with all confidence, can say, I am a new creation. I am born again. My spirit is alive to God. When I take my last breath, I will be immediately in the presence of Jesus. I believe this with all my heart. In Jesus' name. Amen. Go ahead, celebrate. Now, those of you that prayed that prayer for the first time today, at the end of the service, I'm going to ask you, when everybody else is dismissed, there'll be other people that will be coming up for prayer for other things. I'm, going to, I'm pleading with you. Please come up to the front. Tell the individuals here, I prayed that prayer for the first time. Why? Not because we want to make a spectacle out of you. I don't want you leaving here without a Bible in your hands. I want to give you a Bible. Why? Because you need to know who this Jesus is. You need to know more, but you need to know about this God that you've just committed your life to. And the only way you're going to find that out accurately is through the Word of God. So please, would you give us that privilege, please, before you leave today, to make sure that you come up front and you tell those individuals that are up here, tell them, listen, I prayed that prayer for the first time. Maybe you prayed that prayer to rededicate your life to the Lord, to have a fresh new start with the Lord. Fine, tell them that. We have other little booklets that we're going to give you. Why? We want to prepare you for what's up ahead. So what's your next step? We've got to move fast here. What's your next step? What's your purpose? Today, we're talking about part two is what is my purpose? And I don't know what happened to us as believers. I don't know how it crept in. I know it did over the years, a little bit at a time. But most Christians think today, once they get born again, their purpose is that God now is going to be their, their trained dancing bear, that he's going to do whatever you want, a snap of your fingers, and he's going to fulfill your dreams. Oh, honey, honey, in order for you to be born again, what did you have to do first? You had to die. A corpse that's laying in a coffin is not trying to still get his own will and still trying to fulfill his own plan. Your purpose right now and my purpose right now is extremely different than what it was before. And you see, this is the process of transformation that we start letting go a little bit of that time, a little bit of that time, a little bit of time, we let go of our will, we let go of our plans. Yeah, but I had some great plans and great ideas. Well, hold on. It doesn't mean they're permanently extinguished. It just means that they take they go on the second shelf. They don't go on the first shelf. And what's our purpose? Our purpose is this, that the same thing that you experience now, you reproduce in somebody else. See, you have to understand, in order to understand the kingdom of God, how it operates, the kingdom of God operates in seed form. You receive the seed of the word. You first hear about Jesus, the first time you hear, it's a seed that goes in. Then that seed gets watered with some more scriptures or maybe somebody comes and shares their story with you about how God changed your life and now that seed starts to, starts to burst forth. It starts to put down roots and, and eventually that seed just goes full-blown and bears fruit. It brings in a harvest like some of you that just prayed right now. That seed burst forth inside your spirit and brought you to a place to experience salvation. So everything operates the same way in the kingdom of God. So now you get born again but now you're, you're a seed. You don't fully understand, and honestly, we'll spend all of our lives in this planet in what's called progressive revelation, where, we, where God reveals himself to us a little bit at a time, a little bit at a time, and, and brings us to different places in life and different seasons of life, different levels of experience with him. Okay, do you understand so far what I'm talking about? But you're a seed. 
Now, this is, this is, this is pretty cool because in Genesis chapter 8, it says that every seed reproduces after its own kind. What's your purpose? To reproduce what God did in your life. There should be an urgency. Every seed reproduces after its own kind. Um, what I want you to understand, because you can't get, this is another one you can't get wrong. God wants to use you to affect somebody else's life. Well, well, what if they won't listen? You know, I feel kind of weird. And so, like, you know, I don't want to, and here's the biggest lie of all. You know, I don't really think it's my business to, you know, to tell other people they're supposed to believe. Are you kidding me? I'm not saying you force people. We don't go and put a gun to anybody's head. But our responsibility is to bring this information, just like somebody brought information to you. I thank God for the little lady that brought information to me 33 years ago and didn't worry about whether I was going to get mad. And and let me tell you something. It was under hard circumstances because I wasn't then who I am now. And I I would have thrown anybody out of my place of business. And this woman walks in to my place of business, and she's coming to sell me a newspaper. Do you guys remember newspapers? Remember what newspapers used to be? Some of you young people remember newspapers used to be these sheets of paper that had information printed on it, and you sat there and read it. It wasn't online. It wasn't on your phone. So this little lady's coming to sell me newspaper advertising for my business. And so she stands to make a commission, right? This is the way she makes her money. She goes, she sells newspaper ads, she gets a commission on top of her salary and stuff like this. And so she was willing to take the risk that I might get offended and throw her out of my place of business. Yet she spent two and a half hours telling me about this Jesus that I thought I knew so much about. I had been raised a Catholic, went to Catholic school, not like some of you Catholics only showed up for Christmas and Easter. I was radical, hardcore, jihadi Catholic. <laughs> I knew all the saints, I knew everything they did, the whole bit. I mean, I threw myself in. And I thought I knew about this Jesus. And I did to an extent. And I thank God for my Catholic roots. And those of you, you should thank God for your Catholic roots. Because we're way ahead of some of these other groups. Okay? At least we believe that God did miracles. At least we believe that he could heal. At least we believe that, you know, this is real. You know? Um, so, so I'm listening to her and I'm like, I didn't know this. I didn't know the rest of the story. I didn't know the whole thing. Now, maybe that might have been my fault. I'm not blaming them. It might have been my fault. Maybe I just wasn't paying attention. But all of a sudden, man, just everything exploded. I knew who this Jesus was. Now, watch this now. This woman was willing to risk, because what if I wasn't, what if I didn't receive it the way I did? What if I wasn't prepared? What if I had gotten on the phone with her boss and said, hey, listen, this woman just came down here, blah, 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 blah. She could have lost her job. But you want to know something? Thank God that she thought I was worth more than her commission. Could she have possibly, just just follow me in this, could she have possibly have realized the impact this one soul was going to be able to make because she overcame the risk and the fear of what if this person turns on me for sharing this gospel? Could she have possibly imagined? I couldn't. Why? Because when I first got born again, I was just a seed. I couldn't know what opportunity God was going to give me. I couldn't know how he was going to bless my life. I could never know. I could have never known the honor and the privilege he was going to give me to be able to pastor this church. 
How could I possibly know? And by the same token, you don't know who you're talking to when you're bringing the gospel. You have no idea what God's plan is for that person's life. No idea. How would you like to have been the one who sat Billy Graham down and told him the gospel when he was a young teenager? Could you imagine the reward that awaits that individual in heaven? And yet they might have never gone on one of his crusades, might have never preached, might have never done anything. But they did this, they were faithful to reach that one person. And that is your purpose and my purpose. Now let me remind you of this real quick because I got to move fast here. Man, the time's just slipping away today. Let me ask you this question. Do you understand what the devil was really after in the garden? What is the very first thing that the devil targeted in the Garden of Eden? It was relationship. He went after the relationship that Adam and Eve had with God. God would show up at some point during the day. It tells us in the cool of the day. We don't know when that is. In the cool of the day, uh, he would show up, and they would just hang out together. I could just picture them. Have a picture. And, and, and you know something? I used to do this myself, and, and, and I'm suggesting this to you. Don't think I'm crazy, because this craziness got me where I am. Okay, listen. When I was in the restaurant business, I would go to my place early in the morning when nobody was there. And I would sit at my little table in the restaurant. I'd put my cup of coffee here in my Bible. I'd put a cup of coffee on the other side. Say, Jesus, I am going to act like you're right here talking to me. And then we're hanging out together. I said, you did it for Adam. You do it for me. Right? Because he's no respecter of persons. He treats everybody the same. Yes or no? You guys need to start practicing his presence. If you're not doing it, start practicing his presence. Why? Because he's in you. And he wants that fellowship. He wants that intimacy. So what did the devil go after? Relationship. Let me ask you a question. What is the thing in your life that causes you the most agita, the most grief, the most aggravation? Let me me hear it. What is it? What is it? Relationship. Sometimes you say, you know what? I'd give anything. Take my Bible, go on a desert island all by myself. That's not God's will. God's will is for us to be in relationship with him and to be in relationship with one another. Why? Because God uses relationships in a very strong way. John chapter one, I gotta move faster so I'm gonna paraphrase this. John chapter one, John the Baptist is there with two of his disciples, Jesus comes down the road, and John the Baptist in front of these two disciples points to Jesus and says, behold the Lamb of God. You remember that? One of those disciples was a man named Andrew. The Bible tells us, watch this now, the Bible tells us that the very first thing that Andrew did, and it says it, the very first thing, you got that scripture, put it up there. The very first thing that Andrew did was to go get his brother Simon and tell him, we found the Messiah. What does that that signify? Relationship. Who was the first person? When he got impacted by meeting Jesus, the Messiah, the very first thing he thought of, I gotta tell my brother. I gotta tell my brother. What is that? Relationship. You skip down in the same chapter, a few more verses, around verse 43, it says that Jesus found Philip. Philip had a friend named Nathaniel. Philip is so impacted by Jesus, what does he do? He goes and gets his friend Nathaniel. He goes and gets Nathaniel, he brings him to meet Jesus. Jesus looks at Nathaniel and goes, behold this Israelite in whom there's no deceit. In other words, this is a real pure-hearted guy. This guy's got no hidden agendas. He's an honest guy. And Nathaniel goes, do I know you? Have you ever met before? And, Jesus, and he says to Jesus, how do you know me? And Jesus goes, I saw you under the fig tree before Philip called you. Well, here's my point. Okay, now watch this now. When Andrew brought Simon to Jesus, Jesus looks at him and goes, you're Simon, John's son. And he goes, but from now on, your name is Kepa. Your name is Peter, Little Rock. 
Peter must have went like, who is this guy? Because there's no indication up to this point that they've ever met before. What's my point? When you and I bring somebody to Jesus, they're going to have a supernatural experience. Peter had it, Nathaniel had it. Now watch this now. We, last week we talked about Acts chapter 16. Paul and Silas are thrown into prison for preaching the gospel. And they put him in the worst part of the prison. It says at midnight, at midnight, there was a supernatural earthquake, hits the jail. Jail doors open wide, they swing open on their own. The chains fall off of their, their arms. Not only them, but the rest of the prisoners. The jailer is afraid He's going, to have to, he's going to die now because according to Roman law, the jailer, it's his life for the life of an escaping. So he goes and gets a sword. He's going to kill himself. And Paul says, put the sword down. We're all here. Now, this jailer who has heard Paul and Silas talking about God, talking about Jesus, praying, has been, they've been singing songs to one another to encourage each other. This man was so impacted that he goes and he falls down in front of Paul and Silas and says, guys, what do I need to be saved? And they say, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved, you and your household. What is that? Relationship. What is the first thing the jailer does? He, Paul and Silas are like, do I need this aggravation? My back is ripped open. I've been in stocks. I'm standing in this filth from the bottom of the prison here. And what does the jailer do? Brings them to his house and introduces them to their, his family. And what happens? And the Bible says the entire household got saved. What was that? Relationship. Are you following me here? Yeah. Acts chapter 10. Cornelius, the first Gentile person that's recorded for us that comes to Christ, okay? He's praying, he believes in God. He's a Roman official, but he believes in the God of Israel. Doesn't know Jesus yet, but he believes in God of Israel. And he's praying, as he's praying, an angel shows up and says to him, I want you to send somebody to, to his house in such and such a town. There's a guy there named Peter. I want you to get him and bring him here. He sends three men. Peter's praying one day, the Holy Spirit says, there's three guys downstairs, go with them, don't be fearful, I've sent them. Peter goes with these three men, these three men bring him to Cornelius' house, and when Peter walks in, you know who's in Cornelius' house? His family, his servants, and the soldiers that were close to him. What is that? Relationship. In every single one of these instances, we see this urgency to reach out to those that are closest to us. Can I ask you this question? And trust me, before God, I am not asking you this question to stir up any guilt or condemnation. I'm doing it to create an awareness here. As you're sitting here in church right now and you're listening, you went through praise and worship and hallelujah, you had your hands up in the air. We all got blessed by the presence of God in this place and now we're getting blessed by the word and praise God, I want to walk out of here and feel good. Are there family members home that don't even know that you believe in Jesus? Are there family members that you have that don't even know that you go to church? Are there coworkers? Are there neighbors? Are there friends that don't really know what you believe? What happened to the urgency? What happened to your purpose? You see, because if you don't fulfill that purpose, you can become a multi-billionaire and own properties and do all kinds of good deeds. But if you don't get this one right, where's the urgency? Where's the purpose? Most Christians are frustrated, even when they accomplish great things, because we're not fulfilling this primary purpose. For this purpose, we were left on this planet. Every seed must reproduce after its own kind. Listen, I know, I know it's very uncomfortable to go to those that know us and bring this gospel. 
Why? Because they always want to bring you back to your past. Oh, yeah, you're a holy roller now, but I remember when you did this. Yeah, you're right, I did do that. But you know what? That person died. I've been brought back to life now. I'm a different person. And so sometimes it's intimidating to do that. You know what? In this day and age that we live in right now, there are so many non-threatening ways that you can share the gospel and get those seeds into the hearts of individuals. I would imagine that the good majority of us that are sitting in this room right now are at least on some form of social media, probably Facebook. Now, I'm not promoting Facebook. I'm promoting spreading the gospel. Are you listening to me? Are you listening to me? All right, so what am I saying? Well, if you're on Facebook and maybe you're not friends with us on our church page or my own personal page, go on the church page, go on my page, become personal friends. Why? So that you can share the stuff that we post on Facebook, where we have an awesome team that produces these video clips. Probably some of you have seen them. They're powerful. They're impacting. They're only a minute or two. And and if you share those on your page, guess what? All of your circle of friends, the people that you know, your coworkers, your family, they're all going to see that. And you don't even have to admit that you put it on there. What are you doing? You're sowing seeds. You are planting seeds in their heart. There's so many different ways. Invite people. If you, if you feel like, Pastor, I don't know what to say. I don't know, do I know what to say? Bring them here. Bring them here. There's other people here who know what to say. Just get them in the atmosphere. How did you feel when you just went through worship? Some of you came in here all burdened down, hard-hearted, bitter, and then you, in worship, and we're all singing together, and the presence of the Holy Spirit comes, you're leaving different just from having sang. Give them the same opportunity. Let them come in. Let them sit in this atmosphere. Let them partake of the music. Let them listen. Give them a chance to let God deal with their heart. Don't you care? What if somebody didn't come to you? I can't even imagine what would have happened to me if God didn't send somebody into my life where I'd be today. How about you? Do not your family, don't they deserve to at least have a chance? Don't your loved one deserve to have a chance? Don't your coworkers, as much as you don't like them, don't they deserve to have a chance? Give them that chance. Thanks for listening to this message. We pray that you're blessed and lifted up by God's word. If this message helped you today, please consider supporting New Beginnings financially. You can just go to newbeginningsnj.org and click the giving tab. We hope to see you soon.